Well, uh, man, as I'm sitting there listening to these songs about the grace of God, um, it's been, a, been an interesting journey the last couple of weeks. Uh, most of you know that I, I went to Romania and uh, listened to the Lord and looked around to see what God would have us to do as a part of a ministry there, and uh, it was incredible, but the one thing that I noticed right off is that as I met with <clears throat> pastors and leaders is that they don't have an understanding of grace and how significant that is to, to everything that has to do with the Christian faith. Now, we've discovered that here. I'm not sure that we all really understand it to its fullest, but I know that it's, it's a blessing to be able to sing th- those songs about uh, our dependence upon the grace of God and, uh, you know, grace, oh, to grace how great a debtor daily we're constrained to be. And it's, and it's God's grace that draws us into him, you know, and, and we're, we're are responding to the grace of God at the gathering place. And that, you know, that in a, in a huge way is the ministry that we have to offer as we go uh, to other countries, to other towns, to other churches now, by the way. Uh, God has opened a, uh, another venue for us as, uh, as a church to be involved with certain other churches. I'll tell you that story real quickly because... Uh, I realize that I haven't been here to share this. I've shared it with the elders already, but um, God has opened a door with a couple of pastors, and I was questioning whether or not we could even begin to be involved with other churches, existing churches, because you guys know how hard it is for existing churches to embrace uh, the distinctives of our church. We're just uh, very different, right, in, in a lot of good ways, but in ways that are very challenging in, an, in a traditional setting, in, in an existing church setting. Matter of fact, the reason why we started our first church was because we were in a great church and felt like uh, that church would embrace intimacy with God and abiding and grace and didn't. And, uh, and it was God's way of saying, I want you to start something. So we've been doing this now for in, in some form for 18 years with a short sabbatical, um, short, horrible sabbatical. Of 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, but God has, has been working in us to develop uh, this appreciation for these distinctives that are totally biblical. So, when, uh, so I've been praying about that. And if you were to ask me uh, a month ago, if you were to say, Glenn, can we, uh, what do you think about us uh, helping another church to be like us? I would have said, it's not uh, worth the effort. It, w- it, it just won't happen. Not because I don't want it to happen. It's just that was my opinion based on my experience that, you know, churches are not going to embrace this. And most of you have had the same experiences, right? When you talk to your family about the gathering place and some of our distinctives, particularly grace and abiding, uh, God speaking and following his leadership uh, and, and the way we do community, uh, people are not buying in. Like no rules, no lists of things to do that you have to do or don't do, and that's based, you know, that's just the majority of what the majority of churches today are based on. Are not building a big building and, you know, growing a name for ourselves and counting everybody and the numbers of people that show up. All those things are part of what the churches we grew up in. And so I would have said, no, there's no way. Well, God opened a door. I can't speak about it yet, but there, God opened a door, two doors actually, within a uh, two-week time period, with traditional-minded churches, existing churches, one of which I would have said would never have been open to anything like this. And they called us. It was like, 
it, it, it was such a clear thing that it came from the Lord. So it's, I'm still not convinced. So I'm praying that morning, the next morning, open up Scripture. And I'm just reading through the Bible like most of you are. And I'm reading in, the, in, the, uh, in wherever it was, the story of Gideon, Judges 8. And in Judges chapter 8, no, that's later. I'm reading in Acts. Uh, so Acts is the New Testament reading for that day. And, the, and it's the story of, no, yes, let me get my story straight. Yes, it's the story of Peter. Okay, a lot of, God's been speaking a lot lately, okay. Uh, but it's the story of Peter and God's, uh, you know, where, where God drops the, Peter has a vision and God drops the sheet down and Peter, you know, and tells him to eat all this unkosher food and it's stuff that he's never touched before. And, and God, and he says, no, I'm not, I can't eat of that. And he says, don't call unclean what I call clean. And immediately I felt like God was saying, do not write off the possibility of existing churches being able to receive some of our distinctives enough that it could radically transform lives, that it could bring people out of bondage to legalism, that there are pastors out there who are like I was, you know. I was serving in churches that were very legalistic and in some ways had to, had to compromise some of what I believed in order to have a job. I didn't really have to, but I did. And I know there are a lot of pastors like that. But there would also have to be a Cornelius on the other side who's a man after God's heart who God would be working in to say, I'm going to send a, send a Paul to you or a Peter to you and, and you receive what he says. And then circumstantially over the last uh, month it's just been one circumstance after another. A lot of what happened in Romania, I needed to have that experience before I went because of what I experienced there. So just saying all that to say, God is expanding our, our reach. He's expanding this ministry of grace and abiding, uh, you know, the ministry of, of community that we, God's taught us about, how to do community well with people. And I feel like our church right now, I feel like you guys are doing community better than you ever have. Like our, our life groups are stronger than they ever have been, more intimate, more, there's a real closeness that we, it's even stronger than we've ever had before. And so that's the things that we have to offer. It's all biblical and it's all strong, but it's neglected. As we found when most of you, those of you who have read Letters of the Church, finding the things that biblical community, how it's defined. And as we went through the book of Acts, the same thing. Biblical community is defined there. And if we were, in the, if we were on an island with the Bible only and we were to say, what does it look like to be the church? We would find ourselves doing a lot of things that are not biblical and not doing a number of things that the Bible says we should be doing as believers. And so we're trying to adjust to that. And that's the ministry we have as we go out. And so, uh, man, I'm just thankful for the grace of God this morning. I'm thankful that we are a church that embraces the grace of God and that's motivated by, that our motivation, really, for our mission is the grace and character of God. It's the person of God. It's not some preacher who are some preachers who stand before you and persuade you to do something you don't want to do and, and persuade you enough until you finally do it and you feel good about yourself for a little while because you've rededicated yourself to something and then you feel equally poor when you stop doing it, right? So we're, you know, I'm thankful we're not that and, and, and we need to, to have this ministry and embrace this ministry of helping people to come out of bondage. All right, so that's what we're doing in the book of Exodus. 
You know, the, the, what we're trying to do, what Will and I are trying to do is, is, is ask the Lord, what is this message for our church about how we can join God like Moses did in, in bringing people out of bondage? How can we be, be the, the priests that we need to be? How can we be Christ's representatives and image bearers in the world in such a way that people that are stuck in bondage to legalism and to religious rules and regulations and are as dead as, in some ways, spiritually dead, like never have come to Christ, but they, they play the game well. Uh, you know, people like Billy Graham, uh, have, people of, of his stature have said that they believe that 80% of people who are in churches on Sunday mornings are not believers. I would agree with that because I'm not the judge and neither is Billy Graham as better as he, better than I am as he is uh, or was. You know, I respect his voice, but I believe that it's true. I think the evidence is in the, is in the fruit that we see in people's lives and the resistance even to a simple gospel message. The resistance is what well, well, we got to do this and we got do 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 and it's a bunch of doo-doo right and we've discovered that so we have that to offer and I want to challenge you today uh, <clears throat> through some things that we see in the life of Moses in the next uh, few verses of Exodus I want to challenge you today with what I think are what I'm, I'm convinced are mandatory what I say mandatory preparations not mandatory because the preacher said it. Not mandatory because it's a really catchy phrase and, it really, and because the preacher's trying to tell us to do something and persuade us to do something we don't want to do. I'm just saying, if we're going to join God, if, you, if there's anything in your heart that says, in your heart and soul says, I want to join God in whatever it is he's called me to do. I've found already in my life that the times that I adjust my life to what God says, my life becomes more full and joyful and complete if you're there and that's what you desire, then there are some mandatory preparations for us to be able to join God in bringing people out of bondage to legalism and to sin. And so we're going to find those today in, in Exodus chapter 4. So I got my new preaching Bible. So I'm going to hold it up. And I can actually read it because it's bold enough, big enough. Thanks to the Mullis family who took care of their pastor over here. Uh, uh, Zach saw my Bible one day and said, poor fella. Because it was tiny and it was falling apart. And I don't say, I can't tell what verse that is, but if you can, it says this. And so this is the nice goat skin. Somebody thought he said cat skin this week. It's goat skin Bible and it's just beautiful. So I'm going to preach from today. I've been enjoying reading the Bible on paper. Uh, but you might want to just look at the screen ahead since you don't have a nice goat skin preaching Bible. <clears throat> and you would feel embarrassed to bring yours out when I have this one out in front of you. All right, so we're going to pick up in verse 18. And let's read through verse 20, and then we'll, we'll break this apart uh, through the end of this chapter. All right, verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who, you're, who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses uh, took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. And he went back to the land of Egypt. 
And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. All right, so Moses is going back to Egypt. But there's some things that he has to do. And the reason why he's going back, as Will's already covered in the last few messages, is that he has a call from God. Not because he deserves it, not because he's, he, he has the, st- the right stuff, but because he doesn't. And God uses everyone in that way. God does the equipping. He's already equipped everybody in this building to join him in, re- in, re- in helping to bring people out of bondage. But we're joining him. Will made that point last week that there's, there's, this is God's work. It's not our work. You are not qualified because of how skilled you are at sharing the gospel or building relationships. This is God doing his work. God told Moses, I'm, I hear my people crying in the wilderness, and, and you are going to go be my representative. God's the one delivering the people. Please don't forget that. We talked about that this morning in worship team. You know, God's the one that's delivering the people, so we just need to, to continue to ask God to do it and show us how we can be involved in that. But one of the things that had to happen for Moses is we find in this passage, and that is that he had to settle some issues at home in preparation for his departure, in preparation for joining God in delivering those people who were in bondage in Egypt. If he was going to join God in delivering Israel, he would have to be released from his obligations to his job, first of all, because he was a, he was a shepherd for his father-in-law. So he had to be released from his job. He had to, he had to put things in perspective and he had to position his job in, in, the, in the context of joining God to, to free people from bondage. Y'all with me? All right, are you still? Man, our jobs are so significant to us. And, and I, it's, I struggle with it, and my job is in ministry. But our jobs become so important to us that, that we don't recognize that sometimes that we, we are so overwhelmed with what we're doing at work and how much time and energy and thinking time and, and fretting time and anxiety and, uh, that, we're, that we're investing in our occupation and, and how much even it affects our disposition in such a way that we don't, we don't shine the light of God in a, in a lost world. We're not bearers of the image of Christ in the world. We are bearers of the image of the enemy because we're so depressed and down and worried and anxious. And our jobs become so significant that I think it's gotten out of focus for a lot of us. That we forget that our, the call on our lives is not to work in an occupation. The call on our lives is to be children of God who are, who are in the world, being image bearers of God. We are, we are, those, we are God's children. That's, that's the kingdom that we live in. The kingdom that we live in uh, has a father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and can provide for us in any way that he desires to do it and, and will provide for us. And the promise of God is as we join him on his agenda, our needs are taken care of. Matter of fact, in, regardless of how, whether we are faithful to that or not, he still takes care of us. But we don't act like that. We treat our jobs like it's the most significant thing. And, and, and I don't know what that means for you, but, but here's, what I'm, here's what I'm saying. For the first time in your life, you're going to be able to hear a preacher not say, you need to be in church on Sundays and don't work. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you're working on Sunday, you're still on the job. And the, and the job is not you, what you're being paid to do. It's the call that God has on your life. 
We need to recognize if God's calling us to join him in, in freeing people from bondage, then we have to stay connected to him. Re- regardless of where we are on Sunday, we need to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Sunday at work and wherever we are, we need to be investing all that we have, be totally surrendered to the will of God. So he had to, uh, Moses had to do that, and so do we. we have to, he had to be released from his job obligations. He also had to, you know, settle some things with his family. As far as relationship, okay, we're moving away. It's a long ways away. You know, he had to settle those things with family and, and others that he had relationships with. And, and we're, we're, you know, sometimes we're just as bad in regard to relationships that we have as we are in regard to our occupation. Well, my mom's not going to like this. Well, my dad's not, I mean, my family doesn't believe this way. Or, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to like that we're doing this. Or the way we're doing that. Or I have some friends that I just really don't want to offend them, so I'm not going to ask God about how to bring them out of bondage. And so, we, you know, that's a challenge for Moses. He has to settle some things, uh, not only with his occupation, but also with his family. And then he would have to also release the security of his existing job and, he, and the security of his existing situation. I mean, Moses is in a place of comfort right now. Been there 40 years. Everything's settled. This is a good time to retire, right? Moses is about to think about retiring. God says, no, I'm calling you to move forward. And so, you know, just there's all kinds of things possibly that you might be comfortable in right now. And, And your comfort level is something that God's going to address. And so to prepare to join God in setting captives free for us, I think God is speaking clearly here that we must Positions, position God's call at the top of our priority list. All right, let me say that again because I feel like we're zoned out. I mean, your eyes are here. I got you. If we're going to join God to, re- to release people from the bondage to sin and to legalism, we're going to, it's a mandatory thing for us. There's a way of preparation that we're going to have to position God's call in a higher place on our priority list. Y'all with me? I hope that's challenging to you. Moses positioned his family and his occupation and his income in the right place. He squared up things with Jethro. And then the next thing that happens is, once those things were squared up with Jethro, he got all of his stuff in position philosophically, then God says to Moses, it's time to go. It's time to go. God said, now's the time. Look at it in verse 19. The Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt. He'd already been told to go. It's not like he didn't know that this was his, this is what he was going to do. And God already prepared him in a number of ways spiritually, right? And taking self out like Will talked about and making him dependent upon him. And giving him power and the staff to use to represent his power. But he also is now saying, go. All right, I just want to pause just a second to say, I think a necessary preparatory step for us, if we're going to join God in releasing people from bondage to sin and to legalism, is we have to go do it. (laughs) Y'all with me? I mean... I look around today and, and, and I see evidence of the fact that we're not going and doing it. I mean, I, 
uh, are you, who did you bless this week? Don't answer out loud. Who are you blessing right now? Who are you spending time with, praying for, listening to, eating with, serving, uh, sharing the gospel with? Ultimately, it's got to get out of the philosophical stage and get into the practical stage. We can talk about the, that this is great biblical theology for years and years and years and never do anything with it. And that's where the church is for the most part today. A growing church today is a church that's getting members from somebody else's church because they have a better program and something more exciting going on. That's a growing church. I know of a church that it blew up with other people's members. And everybody in town was talking about that church. That's not a growing church. That's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to release people from bondage. The, the gathering place is about one thing, and it's joining God in the ministry that he calls us to. And so we need to consider that it's time to go. We spent a year talking about this. We've been pumping ABCs, ABCs. These are the things God told us to do. Now we need to do those things. Are we doing our ABCs? This is not a day to make you feel guilty and go about saying, oh, I've been stepped on. I'm going to try real hard. Man, that is not it. Moses couldn't try real hard. God doesn't want us trying real hard. He wants us to just go. Okay, I'm going to send you. I'm going to empower you. This is not something you have to figure out how to do. Just go. All right, so Moses had to go. And that's a preparatory step for us. If we're going to be prepared to join God in setting the captives free, we're going to have to make up our minds that we're going to follow God, actually, not just in our minds. <laughs> Will and I, as we prayed about this year and what this, this message series would be about and the book of Exodus. That's it. It's now it's time to go and do this, right? Uh, and, and not just to life and I going to other places because that's our call, not because you know, we're exactly the same as you, only we've, we've made the decision we're going to do it. And, and, and off we go. It's not easy, but we need to, as a church, embrace that if we're going to join God in this. So, the good question today in a practical sense is who are you blessing and who will you bless this week? Get our minds set on that and all the other things that God's told us to do. And then the third thing in, in this particular passage through verse 20 is that Moses, it ends up saying Moses took the staff of God. All right, he took the staff of God in his hand. Remember, as Will said, God's equipped you already. You're already equipped. You have what you need. God has given you his power and his wisdom. And he gives you ears to hear and he gives you eyes to see. You know, when I was in Romania, the first morning uh, in my quiet time, God spoke clearly through the story of, uh, this is where Gideon comes in. Through the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 8, he said, uh, you know, he told Gideon, you have too many people for me to deliver you. And he reduced his army down to 300 men. And he said, this is the reason, because I don't want you to work in your own power. I'm going to give you all the power that you need. And, and I, I want people to know this is me and not you. So reduce your army. And Gideon gl uh, was glad to do it. Down to 300 men armed with jars and torches. That's their weapons. That's total faith in God. That's total dependence upon the power and the wisdom of God. That's stepping into a place where you have nothing to offer to that situation other than knocking knees, right? And then God took care of that for him. 
sends them into the camp the night before, into the Midianite camp, to set, to, tells them to listen on the, to the tent of a, of a Midianite uh, soldier, and they're scared to death. And God causes their voices to be heard in Gideon's ears. And so we're just, all we can do is just listen and watch. That's our goal. That's our job. And then get our little jars and torches. You know, and so everybody looks at us and says, y'all are stupid. And we go like, yeah, but God's got wisdom and power. And in my stupidity, he's going to show his power. We need to embrace the stupidity, all right? You know what I mean. Not really. Some of you are embracing that too much. But we need to embrace this, the simplicity of God's call for our lives and remember that we have the staff of God, right? We've already seen the power of God. We've seen God. We've feel, felt God changing our own hearts and lives. We've seen God moving and working. And so we need to be prepared by taking the staff of God in our hands. That is, releasing our strengths, our, our weaknesses, embracing our weaknesses, and taking on the staff or the power and wisdom of God. I love this in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. You guys are familiar with this, but let me just read verse 18 to 20 and, and remind us of what God says, uh, what Jesus told us he would do as we join him in delivering those who are in bondage to sin, bringing people to Christ and then discipling them. What does he say he will do? Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I read that one for, for a reason. We don't normally read verse 18, but who did all the authority in, in heaven, who was it given to? Jesus. It, it's not given to us. It's given to him. Now, he gives us a command, right? So, he says, go and therefore, as a result of that, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And here's the key phrase of all of it. Here is the phrase that we need to hear. If he says all authority has been given to me, then here's what we need to hear before we can go. And I will be with you. I am with you to the end of the age. God is with us as we go to deliver people from bondage. He's not with us in like a tag-along. He's not with us like, hey, I think I'll go with you. If you guys act right, I, I think I'm going to hang out with you. No, he's with us now. He is empowering us. He is everything that's behind what we're doing. We are totally dependent upon us, I mean upon him. The staff of God that we have is Jesus Christ himself, his Holy Spirit living in us. All the power and wisdom is is the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Listen, I know this for a fact because some of you have shared it in, the, in recent weeks. Some of you are experiencing a dryness in your walk with God. And you've been wondering, how, how can I experience God in fresh ways? You're, you're experiencing kind of a dead time. You know, a lot of different words have been used for it. I feel like I'm kind of walking in a dark time. You know, I'm under attack. I'm... I'm not having my quiet time. I'm really just not motivated. Yeah, I don't have any feelings uh, for God. And you've been having this dryness. Let me, let, me, let me say, if you're asking to experience God in fresh ways, here it is. There's nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing that's going to bring more joy in your life than experiencing God working through you 
giving you wisdom you don't have, power you don't have, uh, uh, opening your ears and your eyes to see him moving and working in a lost person's life or in, a, in the life of a wanderer who's done with church, done with religion, and this feels like there's something more for them, but they don't know what, and, God, and you're sitting there, and God gives you words to say, and it's the right words, and you watch that person's life gets tra- get transformed. There's nothing like that. Y'all with me? You want a freshness? It's, it's not going to come by you sitting and listening and reading more and studying more and just trying to get more information for yourself. It's going to come in taking the step that God's told you to take and joining him to bring people out of bondage. Man, that's awesome. It's so wonderful. Now, it's frustrating at times. Ask Moses. We will as we go through the rest of Exodus. It's certainly frustrating, but man, what a fulfillment that comes through that. There's nothing more fulfilling, nothing that brings more joy. All right, let's go to Exodus 4, 21 to 23. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I, will, uh, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve you. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, he is summarizing what Moses is fixing, what he's about to do through Moses. But he's reminding him of what he's already told him. And he's kind of giving him the big picture because we don't know about uh, the firstborn being uh, killed until the 10th plague. There's a lot of life that happens, a lot of days and a lot of work that God does over those days. So he doesn't take that and just run with it. But he is summarizing what the ultimate vision is for Israel. And he's preparing Moses uh, for Pharaoh's response. And so I, I think out of that, to be, for us to be prepared to join God in setting captives free, I think we must be reminded by God to stay on course and that he's in control. God says, I'm in control. I'm gonna, I got Pharaoh, I got the people, I got everything. I've, I've, I've got the power. I got the power. That just had to happen. All right, I got all of it. So you just stay on course and remember that I'm in control. I think sometimes in the midst of our preparations to do the work, we've, we've had a long season of preparation, by the way. The end of last year was a struggle for me. I don't know if it was for you. I know it was for you. We had a struggle in the preparations for shifting our ministry in some ways. There's a lot of shifting that's been going on, and I know it's tough, but sometimes in the midst of preparations, we get our minds focused on the details and the tasks of preparation, and then we forget the call that God's given us to deliver people. I had to be reminded of that. And I get into Exodus in our, in our readings. Uh, we are the church readings that I'm reading through Exodus. Man, God, I'm just asking God, God, you know, because some things seem to be falling apart in some of the places where we're serving. And I'm asking God, well, are we doing the right thing? And God reminded me, my call is not for you to build a church. My call is for you to free people from bondage. And that's really where, for me, this Exodus study comes out of. You know, Will and I were trying to figure out what are we, what, what's our ministry? And it's more and more clear uh, week after week that this is an expression of what God's calling us to do and be right now. It is that we're supposed to be calling people out of bondage. 
And, and if they're out of bondage, they're going to seek community with the church. We saw that in the book of Acts. Every time someone was brought out of bondage to sin in the book of Acts and received Christ and the Holy Spirit came and lived in their lives, they found community. We don't need to worry about that as much. Yeah, that seems to be the only thing we're worried about. And so I just want to remind us, in the midst of our preparations uh, of getting these things in order, not to forget, not to get discouraged, because our goal is not to get everything right. Our goal is to let God just have his way and ultimately not forget our call. All right, so God will remind us of that. And he reminded me over the past few weeks, and I hope he's reminding you also. All right, verse 24 to 26. At a lodging, this is one of the weirdest scriptures in the Bible. <laughs> All right. Uh, can't say that I ever studied this until uh, this study. At a lodging place on the way, to, to, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Yes, you heard that right. God's going to put Moses to death. God's going to kill. His intention is to kill the one that he called, the one that he designed the burning bush for, the one that he convinced to go, the one that he took out of, out of a place of a prince of Egypt and brought to Midian for 40 years. And he's on his first day on the trip. And the Bible says, God's going to kill him. I never saw that before. And it, it, I got to tell you, it <laughs> grabbed my attention, right? Is it grabbing yours? What in the world? God's going to kill him. So verse 25, Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And so he let him alone. Uh, it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And then the Lord, the Lord says to Aaron, and off they go. Okay, we'll read that in just a minute. Okay, weird little, seems like a, just a moment of craziness in the Bible. <laughs> right? But there's something very significant going on. Now, there's a lot of different things that commentaries talk about. Certainly a lot of places we could go theologically with this. I'm going to try to stay focused on where we are at this point. This is a means of mandatory preparation for Moses. So important to God that God would kill him if he didn't take care of this issue or if this issue was not taken care of. Now, for some reason, Moses' son, by Zipporah, who was a Midianite, was not circumcised on the eighth day. So he has a son that's not circumcised, which, you know, we know that is symbolic of, will always be symbolic of God's people for very important reasons. Ultimately for us is because of the circumcision of our hearts toward God, which I could preach a whole sermon just on that one message. But God, God has given, here's the, the main thing I want us to see today, is God's given Moses a command to follow. And he wants Moses, his servant, to be totally surrendered to his will. And there's no way that God can take, can allow this sin in Moses' life of neglect, this sin of, of, uh, of omission in his life and still use him to deliver his people. Moses is going to have to go, in, go to a people who are constantly prone to sin, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, right? Prone to leave the God they love. And Moses is going to have to be the one that knows God, loves God, is committed to God, and is surrendered to God as his leader. Moses is not going to be perfect. We know that all the way through Scripture, even to the end of Moses' life. He's, he's messed up. 
But God had a command that he gave Moses, and, and he wanted Moses and us, I believe, to understand how significant it is. That we don't let sin just linger around in our lives if we're going to be used by God to bring people out of bondage to sin. It doesn't make sense. Now, we can relate to people. Like I can say to people clearly and say regularly and, uh, and in fact, always make the point that if we're dealing with a sin, in, if I'm dealing with a sin in somebody else's life, I'm going to say, hear me well. I'm one of you. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm dependent upon the righteousness of Christ completely. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see me. Thank God for his grace. But if I'm lingering in sin, if I'm walking in sin, if I have sin in my life, and I'm just going to live in it, then God, I'm not the person that God's going to use to deliver people from bondage to sin. I've got to know that I'm in bondage and not want to be in bondage. And I may be some chains still holding me down because of me. But we can't just let sin linger in our lives. And I, I really think this is a huge message for us. God's calling for total surrender of sin and relationships. And Moses had to purify his devotion to God. And actually his wife did it for him. I think the reason why Zipporah had to do it is because Moses catered to Zipporah's desire not to, not to circumcise his son. I think because she wasn't a Jew, she didn't get all that. No, you're not going to cut my son. And Moses said, okay, honey, I love you. You know, probably. It's the way it goes in my house. And so Moses just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this. I'm gonna, this relationship with my wife is more important than my relationship with God and my obedience to him. It's a challenge to us to think about our relationships, right? Sins in our relationships, but all sin in our lives. I think to prepare, be prepared to join God in setting captives free, we're going to have to take seriously the sin that remains in our lives. I think some of us are getting to the point where we have enjoyed the grace of God, but we've enjoyed it to the point where we are also continuing to walk in sin because God's grace covers it. Man, that is, we, we need to get away from that as quickly as possible. We're going to find ourselves numbed to the sin that's in our life. We need to take seriously the sin that remains in our lives. Seriously enough that we see how significant it was to God that he would actually kill the one that would deliver. Now, I don't believe he's going to do that to us because in God's eyes, we're perfect, right? God's not saying, well, if you don't, then I'm going to kill you. But I think for us, we need to see how seriously God takes sin. And we need to engage the power of God, which is the only thing that will ever remove sin from our lives and help us to be righteous in our actions. And so if we're going to join God to, to, to do that, I think there's some sins uh, in our lives that we need to consider. I, I'm not going to dwell on this, but I think I've already identified one sin of omission, and that is that we know what God would have us to do, and we're not doing it. There's a sin that's, that's prevalent of omission in the life of the Gathering Place Church, the Gathering Place West, and that is we are not blessing people. We are not obeying God and abiding in Him and spending time with Him and, and consulting God about life. We are not uh, committing ourselves to community with one another in the way that God would have us to do. Not everybody. And so evaluate yourself based on that. If we're going to be used by God, this is a mandatory preparation for us. We, we've got to know what we got before we can give it away to somebody else. And so I encourage you guys to evaluate that. 
I think another thing for us, and this is, uh, this is rampant, I'm finding out, uh, as I was in Romania and talking to churches who are ministering to millennials and Generation Z, which is most of who we are, that because you didn't grow up accepting, automatically accepting the, the uh, religion of your parents, which, thank you very much, you've refreshed my life as a result of it, uh, but because you didn't grow up just accepting that, some of you have taken the giving of, of your money and your time to God and just written it off. It's like, you don't have to do that. Well, it's true that you don't have to do that. It's not like God's going to zap you if you don't, but, it's, but you are, that's a major area of disobedience. You know how much benevolence is a part of what the whole of Scripture is about? That the Bible actually says this about our money, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Man, that's been true in my life. The love of money has been the root of all evil in my life. I can almost always trace it back to my problems with what I'm doing with my money. So, you know at the Gavin Place, we don't talk about money, ever. I mean, very seldom. A little bit last December, because since, since November, or December for us, Talitha and I have to sit down every week and look at the bills of the church and our own bills. We have to, we want to, okay, so what we do. But we look at, your, at the church's bills like our bills. We open all of that up and we look at all of it and say, okay, God, what are we paying this week? Which means uh, whatever is in our account is, is going to pay the bills of the church if it's not already paid. And some, some weeks, it's the whole of what I make. Now, I'm not reluctant in that at all. The Lord has, I can tell you story after story after story of how God has blessed us. How in a week when the bills have to be paid and there's not enough money and I'm not going to get paid that week, that God provides some, some means. Money comes in from nowhere. Even my salary, you guys probably don't know this. I, I haven't said this to, to you. But in, in, in a general way, what you actually in the pew, people in this room, what you give to take care of my salary is less than $1,000 a month. Now, I know you saw the budget, and there's 50000 there, but God's already taken care of that in other ways. All right, so I want you to know we are, we are challenged constantly in our finances, and we're not perfect at it. I've, I have had struggles since December. I don't like having to look at the bills of the church and say, am I going to pay, are we going to pay our bills or are we going to pay the church's bills this week? But here's what I know. We never talk about money in this church. I want you to know that there's a level of experiencing God that you're missing if you don't ever do what God's challenged you to do. And that is to put all your money before God and to say, God, whatever you want, you've given this to me and I'm going to be a good steward of it by saying, whatever you want, you take. Whatever you want, you guide me to do it and we're willing to do anything. And here's what's going to happen for some of you, for all of you probably, is you're going to be challenged to give more than you've ever given before on multiple occasions. And you're going to be challenged to give regularly more than you've ever given. The reason why we don't teach a tithe is because it's not a New Testament concept. But you know what is? It all belongs to God. I, you know, tithe is a good place to start. It's definitely not a good place to end as a New Testament believer. But if you want to start somewhere, start with a tithe. That's the way they did in the Old Testament. There's a good start. We do not tithe in this church. Okay, I know that this is a sin of omission. This past week, as a matter of fact, the elders and I uh, talked about this a couple of weeks ago about uh, what are we going to do about our finances. 
And we got a solution. The solution is what I just described to you. And it's working. But, but here's, here's uh, in this week, in, and we decided not to say anything about it, except that this week in one of my devotionals, this, it was on to, one of Tozer's devotionals that it said to a pastor, it's about pastoral ministry, it says that it got down on me about not speaking about money to the church because I'm robbing you of blessings that you can receive through your obedience to God in that way because it is the root of all evil. And so it's a huge sin of omission. If we just act, just let it go, we're missing. We're not prepared to go and join God to remove, uh, to bring people out of bondage if we're still in bondage to, to our money. And so, man, I'm just going to challenge the heck out of you today and be done with it. Ask God about your money. Would you, would you at least ask God if it's okay for you to sit down every week or every time you get a paycheck and say, God, how, how would you challenge us to give more to the ministry of our church? This morning I was reading uh, in, in the story about David, uh, no, I'm sorry, story about Saul. And this fits so well because I'm, I'm just telling you what my heart felt. Saul was, uh, had disobeyed God. And, and so God was taking his hand off of him. And he had offered a sacrifice because he wasn't willing to wait for Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice. Y'all remember the story? And so this is when God says, you're no longer going to be my servant. Uh, I'm going to find somebody who has a heart, uh, uh, who's a man after my own heart. But this is what Jonathan says. Okay, Jonathan was that guy. He was before David. Jonathan was a man after God's heart, Saul's son. And so J- Jonathan goes out. You know, the reason why Saul did what he did was because he was scared of the, the 300,000 uh, Philistines that were fixing to attack his 3,000 men. I would be scared about that too, right? And so Saul says, we've got to hurry up and do something because and offer something to the Lord. We don't want to go in our own power, so I'm going to take control. And he does. But here's Jonathan's response. Jonathan sneaks away by himself with just his, his shield bearer, his armor bearer. And Jonathan says this, Come let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. He doesn't even call them Philistines. He doesn't want to give me credit to the uncircumcised, which means they're not God's people. Let's just square that up. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. So Jonathan goes up with his shield bearer, and he tells his shield bearer this. All right? And I was moved by that. I was like, that's right. We are few. But here we go. We're going to go right into the camp, and we're going we're gonna to bring people out of bondage. But here's the thing that, ta- that touched me in related to what I just said about you guys. Listen to the response of the shield bearer, of the armor bearer. And the armor bearer goes before. Okay, he's gone before Jonathan. And Jonathan said, hey, man, what do you think? Think we should go? Here's what the armor bearer says. Do all that is in your heart to do. Do as you will. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Do all that is in your will to do. Go do it, because here's what you can count on. I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm going to get real personal for just a second, because I feel like, as we've gotten focused on some of the preparations, some of the changes that have been going on in our church, here's what I feel like has happened. 
I feel like you're still with me, but you're with me reluctantly. I think you're still for the cause and the, and the call of the Gathering Place Church, but I think a lot of you are with us reluctantly. You're not going out before us. You're not going out before leadership and saying, yes, we're with you, man. This is our call. It's our call. Do or die. Few or many, we're going. It's not going to affect what I do, but it is going to affect how you experience the Lord. And this is our call. This is, we have experienced this together with God. This has not been some random crazy preacher who's tried to, who had everything figured out coming and giving it to you. We've done this together. This has been our experience. And yet I feel like Satan has got some of us so sideways that we're, we're not even on board anymore. And I feel like I'm going out by myself at times. Wondering, is, are we going to do this together or is this going to be me? And I know, I, I know that many of you are with me, so don't take that wrong. But take it if it, if, it brings convic- if it brings conviction. Because if we continue to let this, this sin to dwell in our lives, then God takes that seriously. And no wonder we're not growing. No wonder we're not having an influence in people in the community. It's because we're, we're just living in sin. We're just letting sin dwell in our lives. So I want to challenge you all today. I hope you receive this. I want to challenge you to think about that and to let that run its course in your heart and soul. And let's get this thing going together. Man, when I go out to Romania, I want to know that you're with me, that you're behind me, that you're in front of me, that you're praying for me, that these, this ministry is ours, not mine. And so, take that. We've got, we've got to join God in that way. All right, a couple of things before we close. First, let me finish it out. Verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So, so he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord uh, with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. All right, so God sends Aaron, which he promised he would do, right? So Moses' help is showing up. God sent Moses the help that he promised. And Moses stuck to the plan that God gave him. He shares the details with him in preparation for that. I think just in a, in a quick word, uh, you know, for us, if we're going to be prepared to join God to set captives free, we're going to have to employ all of God's plan, not just part of it. We've got to employ all of it, my part and your part. If we don't employ all of it, we're not going to have the influence that God would have us to have in this world. But I can tell you this, church, y'all with me for these last few minutes? If we as few will commit together to what God's called us to do, he can change, literally change the world by a small group of people at Gathering Place West. There's work literally already. You know it. It's going on all over the world. Next, next week, we're going to hear one of our missionaries, Chris Cop's going to be here to speak to us and tell us about their ministry and update us on what's going on in, in Bush, Alaska. That's your ministry. These are things that we're doing, right? In Romania, there's tons of opportunity that we'll talk about that God's opening doors for us. It's, it's so clear uh, that God has opened this door for us. And so we've got to ask the question, God, do you want me to go? God, do I need to save money? God, do I need to miss vacation? God, do I need to quit eating out? God, do I need to downsize my home, you know, shrink my car? You know, God, what do I need to do to be able to join you on this mission that you have for us? Because this is our mission. So they did their part. God, Moses, God did his. Moses did his. Aaron did his part. They employed all of God's plan.
And so in closing, I just want to read uh, a passage that, out of the New Testament that the Lord's really made uh, very special to me over these last few, few weeks and months. With that thought in mind, or that idea in mind of God using us together to accomplish His work. You're familiar with this. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And I'll close with this. But let your ears hear all of it, okay? Y'all ready? Hear all of it. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For, number one, the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's the summary of what we just read in Exodus. God has got a work for us to do. It's mandatory preparation. If we're really going to be the church that God's called us to be, it's not my decision. I've made mine. I'm on board with God with this project. I, I have invested the last 20 some odd years uh, doing a lot of easy things and beautiful things and a lot of hard things by joining God in this, in, in this task of delivering people from bondage to sin and from bondage to legalism. And the question is, are you going to be a part of this? Are we going to do this together? If so, man, I want you to just get before the Lord and ramp up your surrender to Him. Ramp up your dependence upon Him. Remind yourself of your weakness and thank God for His grace and for His power that He wants to give us. We're already equipped. And let's get busy doing the work. Let's go out and get it done. Y'all with me? All right, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Moses' example. God, that he was willing to take these necessary mandatory steps uh, in order to be used by you to deliver Israel from bondage. And we take that. Well, we know that our deliverer is Christ. We know our deliverer is Christ. We know that, that Moses was a type of Christ. And, and Father, we, uh, we don't claim to be Moses's, but we, Lord, might be Aaron's. We might be those who are walking alongside with you, God, your priest in this world. And we want to be used by you. And so I pray, Father, that the, the conviction that has fallen today by your word and your spirit into each heart and whatever area that each person has been convicted, that they would, in addition to that conviction, find themselves surrendered. Surrendered to you. Taking new actions this week. Father, we ask for strength to fight the enemy as he will hate this and will be against us in every way possible. But God, that you'll keep us focused on the call that you have for us. God, fill our world with people who love you because they know you. Help us to do that ministry to join you in that ministry.
Jesus' name.